0: Welcome to Moments with Marilyn. I'm your host, Marilyn Boyer, the mom of 14 homeschool kids who love the Lord and love each other. I love young moms, and it's my passion to encourage you and share with you tips and tools to make your journey easier. Thanks for joining us today. Today's topic is an exciting way to teach history. I'm so excited about this. I can't wait to share it with you. And it's something we just kind of stumbled across And I wish that I had done it for all my kids. I have 14 kids, as I said, and I just kind of stumbled across this with the last three. I wish I'd been able to do it with all of them, but it was so exciting. Um, My daughter and I were talking one day about my dad, who was in World War II, and we were talking about some of the battles that he was in. He was in the Navy. He was in the Battle of Midway, and he was in the Coral Sea, and We were talking about these things and she got really interested. So we got some books and we started studying about the places where my dad was and reading his diary. Um, He talked about how the Japanese seemed to be winning in Midway and then something happened and the tide seemed to be turning. And as we studied history, there was an event that made that happen. And it was so exciting. It kind of made history come alive to think my dad and her granddad were there experiencing this. So then we would go to Walmart shopping, and we'd see men with their World War II caps on. And she said to me, Mom, why don't we go up to them and talk to them? So we started doing that. It was a little out of my comfort zone, but I would go up, and I'd say, Hi, I'm Marilyn Boyer, and I just wanted to thank you for your service. And then, you know, I thought the guys would say, stop bothering me or whatever, but they seemed to really appreciate us doing that. And then we would engage them in conversation, and we'd find out what battles that they were in or what their role was in the Army or the Air Force or wherever they were. And then we would set up a time to go interview them. And at first I thought, they're not going to want to do this, but they did. They really appreciated people being interested in what they had done, and especially a young person, my daughters and my son. And... And I would take them with me and we would go interview them. And, for instance, if the guy had been in the Battle of the Bulge, we would read about that before we went so that we could ask semi-intelligent questions when we got there. And, wow, I cannot encourage you enough to do this. It was mind-blowing. We learned so much about history from the people that had lived it. If you read a normal history book, you might have, a chapter on World War II, but you can't begin to scratch the surface of what actually went on. And when you talk to real people and you hear their real experiences, history just comes alive. My kids would beg for more history. They would beg for more interviews. They wanted to do history all day long. It, oh, it was just amazing. And I'll tell you about some of those people that we talked to. We interviewed so many World War II vets. And it's kind of a side benefit. It taught my kids to honor these men and to really appreciate the sacrifices they had made for our freedom. Um, One of my daughters was kind of shy before we started doing this, but it really helped to draw her out of herself she would talk to these vets. She would call them during the week sometimes and see if they had any needs that we could meet, if there's something she could pray about for them. And we developed relationships with these guys, and we'd go back and visit them and, and engage them in conversation. There's one man that I'd have to tell you about. His name was William Overstreet. And he lived, in, he lived in Salem, Virginia, which is about an hour and a quarter away from us. And we visited him multi, many times. He was a flying ace in World War II. And he would tell us about his adventures. There was one time he bombed a train, and he was a little bit too close to it, and it damaged his plane, and he had to land, crash land. And he was captured by the Germans and they assigned a man to take him off in a jeep to prison camp and he was traveling along in the prison camp he happened to look down and he said underneath the seat in front of him he saw a pipe wrench so he said i just bent over and picked up that pipe wrench and i just tapped the driver on the head and threw him out of the jeep he said i got in the driver's seat and i figured Whatever direction he was going, I didn't want to go, so I turned that jeep around and went the other way. And he got to the French Resistance and was rescued. We went back. We saw him so many times, and he always had a new story to tell us. So I could talk for an hour about his experiences, but I've got to tell you about this other one. He actually flew his plane under under the Eiffel Tower and shot down a German Messerschmitt. And we said how did you do that? And he said, well, when we were being trained for fun, we'd just fly under the Golden Gate Bridge, um, you know, goofing off. So he said he knew that he could get the plane because it could only go so high being underneath the Eiffel Tower. So he shot it down. And then we said, well, how did you get out of the danger zone? And he said, their anti-aircraft guns are pointed at an angle like this. So I just stayed low and followed the Seine river till I got out of town and then took off. And he said, years later, there was a knock on his door. And he opened it, and a man was standing there. And he said, are you Mr. Overstreet? And he said, yes, I am. And he said, I just came to shake your hand. He said, my dad was standing underneath the Eiffel Tower when you flew your plane underneath and shot down that Messerschmitt, and I just wanted to shake your hand and thank you for the part you played in freeing France and giving us our freedom. And uh, I mean, it just brought chills to your spine to hear his story. He would get out his jacket and he'd let my daughter try it on, and he had this silk map of Europe. He said they used silk because paper rustles, and if they were um, If there were Germans around, they couldn't use paper because they might hear them. So they had silk maps. He got out all his medals. He had, I don't know how many, purple hearts and medals. And his story was just amazing. And we ministered to him. You know, we brought him things to help him out. And, you know, we were so blessed by his life. We tried to be a blessing to him, but we were so blessed to know him. Another man we got to know was George Rogers, and he was in the Bataan Death March. His story is incredible. It is incredible that anybody could survive that. He was in the Bataan Death March, and then he was a prisoner for, I think it was a year and a half before the end of World War II. might have been longer. Um, but he told us all his experiences. Um, Oh, boy, his job was to bury the dead men in the prison camp, and there were a lot of them. And every morning, he would have to get out and dig graves to bury the men. And he said there was one day he moved this guy to put him in the grave, and the guy said, not yet, buddy. He was still alive, so he brought him into the sick bay so he could be cared for. wasn't much care, but it was something. And then years later, he actually got to meet that man, and the man thanked him for saving him. Um, He said they, when he got out, they thought that there was something wrong with him mentally because he did not hold a grudge against the Japanese. And he told us they were doing their job, they had a different mindset, they were brutal, but it's what they were trained to do. He said we were doing our job and he said I don't hold any grudge against them. They also told him when he got out that he would not be able to have children because of the starvation and the way he was treated, and that he would live a very short life. But tell you what, Mr. Rogers died a year ago last summer. He was 100 years old. He had children. He had grandchildren. He lived a long life. He became a Christian. He influenced so many people. He, he spread his story of forgiveness. To so many and impacted so many lives. And my kids and my grandkids got to meet Mr. Rogers. You know, we learned so much history, but more than that, we just learned to appreciate people's role in history. We met people who were at the Battle of the Bulge. We met a man whose job it was to clean out the, um, which after, after the war and some of the things that he collected are now in the museum, the Holocaust Museum. Um, I, I could go on and tell you so many stories of so many guys. I've got to tell you one more. We met a man. Who was on the USS Indianapolis? And if you're not familiar with that story, that is the ship that brought the parts of the atomic bomb to Tinian. They were on their way back to be involved in the capture of Japan, or the invasion of Japan, when they were torpedoed by a Japanese submarine. The ship sank within minutes. There were 1,100 men on the ship, 880, I think survived the sinking. But then, because of a bunch of mistakes and the silence that they had during the time, um, you know, the Navy intelligence, the Navy did not realize that the ship had not arrived at the port that it was supposed to arrive to. So these men were in the water for four days and five nights. They were in shark-infested water. A lot of them were burned. A lot of them, or most of them, were covered with gas and fuel from when the ship exploded, which actually was a blessing because the fuel kept them from getting badly sunburned. But it would make them sick to their stomachs. Um, the sharks ate some of the guys. They tried to stay together. They, they, there was a rainstorm during the time, and that was the only water that they had. They would just open their mouths and try to let the water get into their mouths. And by a, an act of God, the providence of God, there was a man who was flying his plane, and his radar messed up. So he lowered his plane, and he opened the bomb bay door, and he was trying to fix his radar when he noticed these black heads bobbing on the water, black because they were covered with oil. And he went down to investigate, and he found out it was men. He didn't know if it was Japanese men or if it was American men, but he saw men. He also saw sharks. And it was against, he called for help. You know, he called for help to come rescue these men. It was against Navy rule for him to land his plane in these choppy waters, but he talked to the men in his plane and they said unanimously, yes, we have to land and help these men. So they started rescuing the men. The men were so weak they couldn't climb up into the plane, they had to get nets and and dragged them into the plane. Finally, the plane was full. They had men sitting like sardines or laying. Some of them couldn't even sit. Um, the plane was full. So they started roping men, roping men to the wings of the plane while they were waiting for help to arrive. And we actually talked to some of the men that were roped to the wings of that plane. We, heard, we were invited by the first man we talked to was Mr. Outland, and he lived in North Carolina. And I had got a hold of a copy of a book called 317 Survived. And in that book, it gave the names of the survivors and where they lived. So I thought, well, North Carolina's kind of close to Virginia. I called him up. He was willing to talk to us. I took my son and two daughters, and we met with him. We heard his story. When he was telling us the story, he was crying. And we asked his wife, is this upsetting him? Should we stop? And she said, no, this is so healing. She said, I was married to him for 15 years before I knew he was on the crew of the Indianapolis. She said, it is so good for him to talk about this. So that summer, he invited us to the USS Indianapolis reunion. I went with two of my children. And we got to meet these other men and hear their stories. It was so amazing. We went back the year before last, and I took two of my grandsons, and they got to meet these guys. And actually, my grandson, Adam, wrote a story about Ed Harrell, one of the survivors who was a Christian man. And he tells how God sustained him through this experience. So Adam, one of my grandsons, and Luke, another one of my grandsons, are the ones that went with us to the Indy reunion. Adam wrote a story about Ed Harrell. He got to meet Ed Harrell. He got to shake his hand. He got to hear Ed Harrell's story from Ed Harrell's own lips. And it's amazing. That story is in Legacies of Character. Legacies of Character is our newest book. And my grandkids did the research and wrote the stories. Adam wrote about Ed Harrell. Luke wrote about George Rogers. These stories are just too incredible for us not to share with others. So they're available for you. And Mr. Overstreet's story I should have mentioned is in our book, Portraits of Integrity. So, you know, we just had a passion to share these stories with others. Your kids need to hear them. You need to hear them. Your kids need to tell their kids. We need to pass this legacy on for future generations. It's so amazing. I tell you what. When you learn history this way, you will never forget it. You learn so much history in the process, but you're learning it through actual, true life experience. And you're hearing from the people that experienced it and how they felt and what they were thinking. And I mean, it's just amazing. A, A normal history book cannot begin to touch the experience you get from interviewing real vets. We took a trip to DC with another vet, a Viet, vet of the Vietnam War, and he stood in front of the Vietnam wall and he gave us little papers to scratch the, off the names of the men that were in his troop. He was the only man, he was the commander of his troop, he was the only man that survived. They hit a landmine, he was blown, I forget how far. He broke, I forget how many bones, but it was a lot. And through, he lost all his men. And he was standing there telling us this story. Other people that we didn't even know gathered around to listen. And it was through that experience that led him to accepting the Lord as his Savior. He told that story in the presence of all these people listening. And people were coming up and thanking him for what he did and tears in their eyes. And, ugh. You know, that experience is so amazing. If we had just gone and looked at the Vietnam Wall, it would have been good. But to go with a man who experienced Vietnam and lost all the men in his troop. He told us stories about his men that got lost. You know, you don't forget stuff like this. It makes history come alive. And as I say, I wish I had done this with all my children. But I'm now getting to do it with my grandchildren. And I can't encourage you enough to do that. You know, we have read research about how kids learn. And long ago, like in my grandparents' generation, they used to teach history through stories of real people. In the telling of the story, you got facts about the battles and the occurrences and why it happened, but you were learning it through the eyes of real-life people. So Master Books asked Rick and I to write some history books for them. You can see these right here, The Fight for Freedom and America's Struggle to Become a Nation. So we did just that. For our research, we used primary source documents and we used books that were used in the public schools back in the 1800s to teach my grandparents' generation history. And they did that through the telling of stories. They told about Nathaniel Green. They told about um, uh, Schuyler, Philip Schuyler. And in the telling of these stories, so much history is learned. So that's the way we wrote these books. It's fascinating to learn about real people who sacrificed so that we could have the freedom that we enjoy today. There was one man, James Caldwell, who the British shot his wife when she was holding her baby in her own home. And he was off fighting at the time. It just renewed his vigor to fight for freedom, even more when he learned what happened to his wife. He's the one that was in a battle and people ran out of, the soldiers ran out of wadding, which they used, they had to have wadding to shoot their guns. So he went into his church and he got hymn books out. He started tearing out the pages and he said, Fellers, give them watts. And they used the old Watts hymn book as wadding for their guns. But this is the man who the British just shot his wife killed his wife there's a really cool poem about that that's in our book that that Rick reads Rick tells about in the book so we wrote these history books in a different way we wrote them through the eyes of those who lived it through real-life stories and I encourage you so much to do that sometimes you can't actually interview the person. There's not many World War II vets left. There are some, and I still have some plans to take my grandkids to meet some of them, but they're dying off. So you can't always, and obviously you can't interview people from the American Revolution, but you can hear their stories, and you can read primary source, and you can read their own words. A lot of them were prolific writers, and we can have access to those things and that is such an effective way to teach history. You know, Rick and I were just watching a movie about the World Trade Center, and it told the story of two men who were police, um, who went in to, as rescuers. They were trapped underneath the rubble. There's actually four men, two of them died, but two of them were rescued. There were only 20 people who were rescued from the rubble. And these two men were number 18 and 19 that were rescued. They, one of the men, was rescued, brought to the hospital. They had to put him under sedation um, for six weeks. And he received 22 surgeries. There were cement blocks that landed on his chest. His legs were crushed. He had to undergo 22 surgeries. Now, watching that made me appreciate what these policemen did. I mean, they volunteered to do this. They went into those buildings to rescue people at their own peril. And it occurred to me, you know what? These guys are still living. Maybe I could get a hold of them and have my grandkids go to meet them. I'm going to try that, that's my next project. But if I can't, their testimonies are available online and that's something that you have access to. I know Mr. Overstreet, there's some interviews of, of him that people did and they're available online. So if you can't meet the person in person, there are online interviews and helps that you can go to. And there are books that tell people's true stories it's probably, it would be my, my uh, I would rather meet the person in person and be able to ask them questions and really learn from them. But if you can't, there's so much available online. I am so glad that I stumbled across this way to teach history. Um, Another thing that we have done to help you teach your kids history is to record books that were written in the 1800s. Rick has recorded scores of books that were written in the 1800s to teach kids history. You know, historical fiction back then even was written so that all the events happened. But they bring in some other characters to make the story a little more engaging for kids. But the events happened. And just listening to these books, the kids learn history. They will become history buffs. They will learn so much history. They'll love it. Um, We've had kids that begged their moms for more time for history. or One of our grandsons would listen to them at nap time, and he would beg his mom for more nap time because he wanted to listen more to these stories that Rick tells. And they're available on our website. We're recording things all the time. When we find an engaging story, we'll try to find a book written back in the 1800s that's in the public domain that we can record for you. <clears throat> it's just amazing. I, Like I say, I wish I had been able to do this for all of my kids. My older kids just learn from a textbook. But my younger kids and my grandkids are learning in a way and it is amazing the history they pick up just from the stories of others it's been incredible and I highly recommend it to you and if you do that if you have an engaging interview write and share it with us we would be happy we might even interview you about your interview with somebody we would love to hear stories from real life stories. You might even have relatives that were in Vietnam War or something that you could share their story with us. So I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. You can check out our other podcasts on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that podcasts are available. I've enjoyed this time with you. I hope you've learned and been encouraged and go out there and do those interviews and tell me about them.